Okay, so I'd like to welcome once again, somewhat of a regular on the show these days, the uh, the one and only Dave Smethurst. How are you doing, Dave? I'm great, Frank. How about you? Are you okay, mate? Not so bad, thank you. It's been a bit of a hectic couple of weeks, but yeah, doing no, I all right. That. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know you've been running around. Uh, you've got your car back though, so that's one thing, isn't it? Amazingly. I- I have indeed, yeah. I've been I've been blasting around in my car again, which has been nice. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah. What what we'll be uh, talking about today is uh, the the hearings, uh, the UFO hearings from last week. Obviously, a huge event to take place. So, I've been trying to speak to a few different people about it to discuss how it all went and get some different viewpoints. Really. So, obviously, today is going to be delving into to what you made of it all really dave and uh have you got any general thoughts you want to kind of say about the whole thing before we get into some more specific points uh, uh i'll tell you what you ask us and then we'll we'll, we'll go for that because i mean uh I, well I, I will give you a couple basically what i thought was ultimately i was quite disappointed really but i feel quite optimistic now for the simple reason and this will maybe tip people off to where i'm going to go with this it was that bad in terms of what they tried to present, that they put the senators in quite a tough position who put the reputations on the line to support this. So I think it's going to lead to a quickening of the hearings because it can't really stand as it is. And I think it was a point you made. It was a bit like a heads you win, tails they lose or something. In that, whatever happens, because I seem to remember you made that a couple of podcasts ago, whatever happens... Uh, if if they say nothing, they say they try and deny it, then there's going to be more for that reason, which is what I think will happen. Or if they say there's something to it, then they'll investigate. So I think I was disappointed at first, but I'm quite optimistic because I think they've sort of made a rod for their own back. So that's what I was going to get at. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, that I mean, I, I mentioned that sort of before the actual hearing took place. That if the, the the questions got answered in a way that was satisfactory and it was quite interesting, what got revealed, then that's basically going to you know ignite a bit of a spark of interest, isn't it? You know, and there's going to be even more questions asked if the questions are answered in a way that's that's not satisfactory. And you know, it seems like they they're not really being fully open with what they know. That is also going to ignite a bit of a spark of interest because people are going to feel like they're not getting the questions answered. So, yeah, I think it was definitely the the latter of those two that actually ended up happening, um, you know, on the day. And it will be interesting to see how it progresses from here, won't it? So uh, let's dig into some specifics then. So what what do you reckon is the the sort of like posture of the of the DOD? What are they actually trying to do here? Do you think they're trying to be sort of like defensive and like hide what's going on and obfuscate what they know about this? Or do you think they've maybe turned over a bit of a new leaf and they're committing to being a bit more transparent going forward? That's that's a really good question, that, Frank. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, this is partly why I was quite disappointed. I think a lot of people assumed, and I was a bit like this, but with Reed gone, uh, a lot of the blockers are gone. Gary Reed, who'd been sacked recently for people who don't know, and who was seen to be the main sort of blocker in the old, old USD. With him gone, the floodgates might open and they might change their idea. Now, the posture, I suppose, the idea of posture in military terms is, have you got a defensive posture? Are you just going to defend a bit like NATO without being too political? Or are you going to attack him on what you're going to go for? And I think 
we sort of I assume that they're going to change the posture. It was a good opportunity, try and be a bit more open and try and sort of finesse the disclosure thing. But I it was just the same old, same old. It, uh, it, the, you know, they weren't looking at openness. I mean, there was a great opening by Carson. He said, we want more openness. We're looking at this. We want to know what you're doing. He gave him a really good opening. And they just come up with the same old rubbish, basically, underplaying it, saying there was nothing to see here, saying it was all about sources and methods. Absolutely rubbish photographs. I mean, we'll get into a bit of detail, I'm sure, later on, but just as a... Uh, and we know they've got better stuff. So, fundamentally, the posture hasn't changed, and it means that still people are in the DOD. They obviously don't want to be open. So it clearly wasn't just Gary Reid. Uh, who was blocking it all. There was obviously other people there who don't want to come out of it, whether they just can't face fessing up and telling the truth because of the implications of it, I don't know. But uh, I think, though, as Lou said, and we'll get into that, I suppose, later on what Lou said, but the cat's out of the bag, really. And as, as I said to you just in the opening remarks, which is why I was not going to say anything, but I thought I might, the political reputations are on the line here, and the senators can't let this stand. Gillibrand was running for the Democratic nomination for presidency last time. Rubio's a big player. There's a few others. They're all going to look stupid. And not only that, I don't think it's just about them looking stupid. I think they genuinely have seen the evidence, and they want something done. And so to come out with somebody just giving you an old snow job is just, you know, it's not acceptable, I don't think. So... Yeah, I was really, so as you can tell, I think the posture, it's same old, same old. And the question is, will it change? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point as well. The people that have actually pushed for the these new legislations and things like that to actually go through, they're, they're not going to want to be made to look daft, are they? By the fact that they've really put their reputations on the line to say, there's really something to this, you know, we need to push for more transparency and, and look into this as much as we can. They're not going to want to accept kind of a, a damp squib, are they, sort of thing. They're really going to want to feel like that they, they've been vindicated in pushing for that in the first place. So that's a, that's a really good point. I've not really thought about it, it like that. So what do you think about the actual the, the actual standard of, of the answers that were provided by the, the people that were brought up for questioning Bray and, and Moultrie? Wait. You think... Go on, carry on. Say, what were you going to say, Frank? Sorry. Yeah, just, just. Do you think that the the answers were were satisfactory? Because th- there, there were a few, a, a sort of like commitments to transparency. But do you think that's just for show sort of thing that they're not going to they're not going to say, look, we're we're going to keep everything hidden from you. They, they're going to want to present a front of of appearing to be transparent. So how how do you feel like the the uh, the answers came across? Well, I thought it was uh, again. I thought it was very, very poor because it became apparent very quickly they hadn't been briefed. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, they, they couldn't, uh, they mainly said that any answers were in the UAP task force files. They mainly went into that. Uh, they said they weren't aware of things like Maelstrom, which we'll probably get into later, some of the UFO programs between Blue Block, ATIP. When they were questioned, they even said they couldn't identify things yet, but that implied they could be identified, but we know they don't said they didn't have enough data they deliberately said oh we haven't got any files on that but i like but we are the uap task force files when we know so deliberately veering us away from the proper dod files they said they haven't got evidence on that and generally speaking they give a load of uh oh we're doing this we're doing that we're doing the other we've got all these and they've only got two people i mean yeah so 
I mean, we'll get onto that later on, but if anybody would ask that question, which we may become on to later on, it would have become apparent. It was just sounded like a, a big snow job to me, really. Uh, and uh, I, I think they must have sat there and said, right, we must have said, we'll send a couple of people who aren't, who aren't brief, so they've got plausible deniability. Uh, we'll, we'll just get them to talk about the UAP report in June 21, which is what they did. They didn't mention any new stuff. Uh, we'll just say we don't know about it. We can't identify stuff. We'll talk about just the information we've gathered and try and trick them with words, and that'll do. It'll be the usual snow job. And uh, that's that's what it felt like to me. I mean, uh, I was thinking about uh, there was nothing about the recent confidential report, but we were supposed to be. I know nobody said anything about that. That seems to have gone quiet, but they were supposed to deliver one. I think it was under Gillibrand, I'm pretty sure, or maybe under one, I'm pretty sure it's Gillibrand. They were supposed to deliver in March the first confidential report. They didn't mention anything of that. They didn't talk about the new cases. When he was asked questions, it was all, uh, well, we're not sure. They were implying it was drones. They were saying we can't identify this. And it was all, I thought it was terrible. I thought it was absolutely. I thought, how can they expect people to believe this, knowing what we know? So I thought the answers were very poor. I mean, We'll come on to it maybe a bit later, but they did say some things because they were sort of forced to by the questions. They did admit the UFOs were real. They did admit they couldn't explain some things. They did say something about the tic-tac that was, you know, they couldn't explain that. They did mention radio frequency. They said there'd been some collisions, but it was all sort of dragged out of them. And the implication was that mainly it was sources and methods. Uh... And that was the real reason they weren't talking because the platforms uh, didn't want to, you know, it was the platforms they didn't want to give away. And really there wasn't that much to it. And that, the photographs were there to try and back that up. Uh, and they also tried to imply, and I wasn't convinced by the Corbell explanation, maybe a bit more controversial because Jeremy Corbell had a lot more than just those pictures to back it up. He had a lot of other testimony. There's a lot of other things. He's posted on Twitter today that he doesn't think more to come on that. So, I, they were quite. They used a lot of weasel words about that comparison between the two pictures. Uh, I mean, we'll get a bit of maybe it's a lot of, more too much detail to get into that. But uh, so generally, I think I thought it was uh, a real snow job, really. And I just I think didn't realise the world's changed, you know. And so that was so that's a great assessment of that, there, Frank. Sorry, but I really wasn't impressed, mate. Yeah, no, no. I hear what you're saying. Definitely, I, I think. Um, Without the exact um, quote in front of me, I'm not sure there was any collisions, but there was was it eleven near misses? Sorry, or excuse me, like that? I misspoke. He said there was eleven. Uh, Gotta sound like a senator now, don't I? <laughs> yeah, but basically, he said there was eleven near misses. That's what I meant when I asked the yeah. question. Was that he said no collisions? Eleven near misses was what what he said. And so, yeah, that that's that's the thing that I would have loved to have had some follow up questions on to to delve into a little bit more about what was the the, the nature of those near misses or how, how near are we talking you know was it something that if you know is a genuine risk of of, of a collision potentially in the future because near misses with military aircraft is pretty significant stuff isn't it you know it's yeah. something like that needs to be honed in on yeah, yeah. and uh, they need to ask more questions about that going forward and just quickly on the triangles thing as well the jeremy corbell video that's a funny one because there's, I haven't talked about that much actually on any of the shows I've done about the hearing um, since, uh, just because I've, I've kind of been mulling it over really. But now I actually think on that, what they actually did, uh, it was uh, Bray, I think, who was who was saying this in particular, is they said that the uh, they determined that 
the triangular appearance was because of the type of aperture, the type of lens on the equipment that was being used, and that it was actually a different incident that they did manage to figure that out with. And in the different incident, it was determined to be uh, on on what is it? Um, Unidentified Aerial System, UAS, um, or UAV, however they refer to it. But what they actually said was that it was that different case which was determined to be uh, a UAS that they they were able to say with certainty that it definitely wasn't you know an, an unidentified vehicle it was it what it wasn't um anything non-human or anything like that basically it was a, it was a drone whereas they didn't say that in the actual video that Jeremy Corvell presented that that was a drone it was yeah. a different video they made that determination and i think that's really important because it wasn't determined that the video Jeremy Corbell had put forward was definitely a drone, but a lot of people have took it that way, which I think is probably what Bray intended to happen. Right. You know, they basically said there's a different video, and that was definitely a drone, and that appeared as a triangle. But see, the you know, thing about that, even that one, Frank, if it was a drone and it was above those ships, why wasn't it lit up? You know, blown out of the sky or whatever. Don't matter what something happening. And they asked him a question: Have you tried to replicate it? I think it was Schiff who asked him that. Have you tried to replicate the the effect? And he went, uh, well, we haven't done, but we're, we're aware of studies. And you know what study I think they're aware of, Frank? Mick West study. Yeah, I thought I that thought, might be the I, case. I thought, I thought, I bet that's what it is. Uh, so, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, I suppose we've got to take him at the word if we're being, trying to be more objective. Because, I mean, I suppose I just ended up not believing a word of it in the end. But I suppose we've got to take him at the word. They knew it was a, uh, it was something like you were saying, it was some sort of UAV or whatever, not but I thought that was a bit dodgy. But you're dead right. They didn't make that comparison. Was really tricky. He just by implication rather than by specifics was he? By his condemnation was he? Yes, yeah, it is a dubious one because they weren't willing to actually present any studies that they have done. They just referred to a general study, which may or may not be Mick West or something similar to that. Yeah. Basically, all that they're saying is if you look at any kind of you know, objects that glows in the sky through this piece of equipment, it might show up as a triangle. But they're not actually saying definitively that Jeremy Corbell's video was a drone. You know, so it's a, it's a weird grey area that I think they did intentionally, personally. But anyway, yeah. moving on from that, what do you make of the um, the amount of prep? that Bray and Moultrie potentially would have had the chance to do. Do you think they got to see the, the questions in advance? I, I don't think, I mean, often apparently, as I've been following it, apparently it's very common and they like, they call them dog and pony shows in the States where they're all given the questions and they lock them and they give these great responses. But I don't think a lot of that went on. There was obviously a bit of a chat went on beforehand with, I think it was Carson who was the chair. Mm. He told that sort of, excruciating story about him like in sci-fi i know he was trying to be nice but it was just a bit she was like hey that's great banter you know i thought it was bloody silly <laughs> but anyway the point was <laughs> they had a bit of a chat but i don't think i didn't detect there was any evidence of them uh you know knowing i think there was one planted question from la hood which i maybe mention later about should everybody locked up be locked up who makes a ufo sighting i'm paraphrasing appallingly there but that made me laugh that but in terms of their prep, I think they weren't briefed, and we don't know if they weren't briefed on purposes as we're implying for implausible deniability, or for plausible deniability, I should say. Although implausible deniability might be more <laughs> accurate. 
Uh, I think they did very narrow prep on that, and I think they just focused on the UAP task task force report and that info from there, and that's what they were briefed on, and that's what they went in on. And apparently, listening to Gallagher and the other guy, I've got his name written down somewhere, who was standing with me when they were being interviewed afterwards, the the confidential one was pretty underwhelming as well. So he might have said a bit more about the sonar stuff, but they didn't know much more in that, apparently. So I don't think they did much prep, and I think they were purposely sent up there. Now, whether they said, don't tell us anything, then I, I can't lie then, or whether people who do know stuff sent them out there, I can't see that happening, but they could have sent them out knowing they hadn't briefed them properly. And let's be honest, the hearing was about air safety and set its progress, and they didn't really address any of that in the detail. Set up progress. He disposed, he said a bit generally about what they were doing, but they didn't really go on about air safety. So I think they just decided to send them in the room, keep it in a narrow database, the UAP report, as I said, and just thought they could snow people, as I was saying before, really. But I don't think they saw questions in advance, certainly because they would have been ready for that Maelstrom one. And uh, well, he wouldn't have told them that, but he was going to ask that, but, uh, which we'll get into, I suppose. But I do think they made a massive calculation in miscalculation in doing that. I think that, as I said to you, they, I suppose I'm repeating myself, but they, they thought they could get away with the same old snow job reply on the fact they were senior people and the people at congress people or i'd say oh that's fine yes sir three bags full sir you know and i that didn't seem to happen to me yeah it's something i want to try and clarify that whether or not they got questions or whether the done thing is that they generally do get questions in uh, congressional hearings because i had heard a few people saying that that's generally the case but it definitely didn't seem to me that they had had any questions in advance because, like you say, they would have. You would think that, say, for example, the question about Malmstrom with the uh, the, the Minuteman missiles, the nuclear missiles being shut down, you would think that if they'd have had that question in advance, they definitely would have checked out that because it sounds like such a it's a hugely significant case, isn't it, in terms of national security? So it does make you think, and and just the general responses to those questions it does make you think that they didn't get them in advance but it's it's very true what you say about um moultrie uh, went for a, a meal i think he said it was with carson so they've obviously met pre- prior to the hearings whether again i don't know if that's like a kind of a standard thing that happens or whether it's you know a bit more of an unusual thing but i've actually got a show that i'm going to be doing over the next few days i think you know anyway dave because i was talking to you about it but i'll be doing a show with um dj from cohen all beans oh and yeah we've actually, we've actually got um, an attorney as well who's a bit of an expert oh, yeah in you did matters. say that yeah so That's i'm going to yeah, that that particular aspect of the questions in advance thing, and and whether it's you know the done thing that they do get questions or whatever, I'm going to try and clarify that. Um, but yeah, do you, do you think there were any follow up questions in general, or just any questions that that caught Bray and Moultrie off guard? Yeah, I did. I've got a uh, yeah. There were a few actually. I've got a uh, I've got a couple actually. If you just give me a second, I, I made a note of a couple of them. I think actually, see what where we were, where we are. Yeah, I, I know. Think... Yeah, I noticed a few times when the the body language seemed to there was a bit of awkward shifting in chairs from from Bray and Motri and so it's like yeah. a couple of sideways glances of like you know looking at each other and things like that. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's I, mean I, I give you the ones off guard. Yeah, you're right. There was the, the one, the key one, and you, we've mentioned this was the Gallagher one. Yeah, because he hit yeah. him 
with the male, I think it's Maelstrom. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Or Maelstrom. I'm not, I can't, Maelstrom. Anyway, I'll say Maelstrom, but I'd stand to be corrected. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was nuclear weapons. He asked about generally about nuclear weapons, then about the obviously the big case in the 60s, uh, which Lou did point out was there. He said, I can't answer on reports. We don't add random reports. And it was their report, but that was what it was based on under FOIA. That was where the report had come through. The UFO programs are obviously pre and post uh, Blue Book. Now, we know there was sign and grudge before them. Uh, Bryce, Bryce Zabel said that he's got them on his bookshelf, so he knew that just through that. And then in the middle, then he just said, oh, there was nothing between Blue Book and ATIC. Well, we know we know basically there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. There's quite a lot going on. So if they've lied about that, that'll look very embarrassing, particularly if there's future hearings coming up. And clearly the Wilson Davis notes was, in, apart from people don't know, we may be getting to that in a bit, but the Wilson Davis notes allude to this secret program of uh, reverse engineering crashed alien tech by a private company to sum it up in very briefly, uh, that obviously talks about secret programs, doesn't it? So so that they were killer ones. They really got them. But Chris Monte, who was the mate of Gallagher, I think it's Chris Monte. Chris Monte said he asked him about collisions. He asked him about attempts to communicate. He couldn't answer on that. Had you fired on a UAP? He wasn't, oh, no, we haven't done that. He wasn't quite sure. Have they got any wreckage? He said, well, we haven't got any wreckage. The UAP department, well, They've only been going for a year. I don't think they've managed to, they've got, not got any staff, let alone any hangers. So that was a very, then underwater sensors, he said, oh, we'll answer that in closed briefing. And uh, there was also areas about where they were, you know, tracks, where were the tracks? Oh, we can't answer that. We haven't looked into that yet. So there was some tricky stuff around that. Chief, I think, I'm trying to remember, he asked him about uh, the physical characteristics and why they couldn't be explained. And he, in the end, he had to say, well, we can't explain them because he was really edging around that. The radio stuff, that was a tricky one. So I'm, I'm saying they did a bad job, or I was going to say they did a bad job, but actually some of the questioning did catch him out, I think. Uh, it was just generally they weren't answering properly and they weren't getting in. Carson uh, actually asked him about... Uh, you, it, that was quite good. He said, any video is going to be released? And they virtually said no, because they're all confidential. He asked him about US tech, and he said, no, we're tracking that. We don't think it's that. Asked him about Space Force liaison, and he sort of edged around that. And uh, and Crawford asked a good one, which you would have liked, Frank, given your interest, about the Tic Tac. And he eventually had to explain, uh, say that the Tic Tac was unexplainable. So, uh, so yeah, there were some... They, were, they did get caught out because, because basically they were answering at such a low level. But where I think they caught themselves out most, Frank, is not that they didn't answer, but they just give answers that were clearly rubbish or with no information. And the failure, I think, of the senators was that they didn't follow up. I mean, perhaps we'll talk about the standard of questions in a minute. But the actual failure of the, question, of the, of the Congress people to follow up was the big problem for me. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. And, and speaking of follow-ups, that's obviously yeah, everyone knows who listens to my my show that I'm a, a huge Tic Tac fan. Um, and that particular thing, I would have loved a, a little bit of a follow-up question on that, um, you know, just in terms of, you know, they said that we've seen the data and even with the data, it still remains unexplained. But what I would really like to see, and they're not going to be listening to what I like to see anyway, but, you know, what I would have liked to have seen is, did they have all the data 
were there any aspects of other sensor systems that they've not been able to get hold of? Like, for example, if, if the Air Force have some kind of, you know, sensor data on that particular event and they've not been able to access it so far, is there going to be efforts going forward to make sure they can access that if they've not already got access to it? Those are all really important questions, I think, because of the significance of that particular case. Um, because the bigger that case, the bigger picture is is more important than that little bit of FLIR footage, in my opinion. And all of that data forms part of that bigger picture. Um, but yeah, I think uh, moving on from that, I think one of the the possible reasons that they were a little bit caught off guard was that there weren't, you know, there weren't really any questions about where is the progress with the AOI MSG and and yeah. what they've been up to with that. Because a lot of the uh, the the talk about this hearing before it happened was that it was going to be mostly about the progress in setting up the AOI MSG. And there weren't really any questions on that at all. Did you think that was a bit unusual? Well, yeah, it was very unusual actually. Because well, because if you, I listened to it, I listened to it again recently actually, because knew I was going to talk to you about it. And there's quite a good intro from Carson. He went through. It's been too long. We want to look at it, and you know, we want to make sure we give information to the public. We know this. We know they exist now, so let's not mess about. So that was great. Chief gave quite a good one saying, you know, we need to open up to the public, find out what they are. Crawford, uh, who was the guy with the beard, he said uh, it wasn't so good. He was trying to imply it was all foreign tech and we need to know that. But really, it was woeful when they started asking the questions. Most of them didn't seem to be briefed. But fundamentally, as you were implying there, they didn't ask fundamental nuts and bolts questions. Uh, you know, they, for, for me, I would have said, right, what systems have you set up to set to... Uh, to assess and prevent these near misses, who's doing it? What programs have you have you put in place for the new department for numbers of staff? What's the organisational structure? What's the links to different agencies? Have you got a team to receive and analyse the data? What about the scientific and recovery functions? What about how about the contracts issue? I don't think you can't help to handle contracts, are you? And what about performance monitoring? They didn't they didn't ask him any of those questions, which were which is what. Proper oversight's all about. I mean, we think our lot are bad in Parliament, but my God, that they were just rubbish. I mean, they, they were like soft, you know, it was almost Janet and John questions. I thought it was it was really bad. I mean, most of the questioning was pretty vague. I mean, you had uh, intelligence. Was there an intelligence failure? Uh, what, have we got a civ civilian protocol for the for the start sightings? How are you dealing with stigma with the pilots? Uh, what about uh, what about extraterrestrial life and all the rest of it? Is and then the one I mentioned earlier, from Lord, uh, are we should we charge people who are making these allegations? So they were really they were they were just weak questions. Apart from not being victims, look, they were, so there was half the committee for me didn't seem briefed at all and asked these questions they could have thought of on the way to the hearing. Basically, which were pretty rubbish. The other half, which were a bit better, were the ones I just talked about, about the wreckage and collisions, and obviously Gallagher was a good one. So there were some good questions in there, but it seemed like only half of them were uh, I'd really bothered to look into it. And they didn't, but, but crucially, I know from my work, and you probably know as well, Frank, but if, you, if you're doing an oversight function, you've got to ask specifics or you get nowhere, you know? And uh, that, was what they, that was what I suppose annoyed me the most. Because I wasn't really bothered if they didn't, I didn't want to bother if they didn't any pictures or any great reveals. I would have just liked to know what the progress is because I knew it was very hard for them to explain that, you know. Anyway, 
So that's yeah. what I thought there. Yeah, that is good good points. And I, th- I think um, my only sort of thing that I'd add to that is that in a way, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong, I would have liked to have heard some questions about AOI MSG. Where are these current efforts, uh, you know, focused on how fa- how good's the progress, you know, what's being done about this and that to do with the current efforts like the AOI MSG. But on the other hand, I was kind of glad that there were questions that were being asked about the historic cases and things like that. Like, And, and a couple of people had mentioned that they never thought in a million years that you would hear things like, you know, Roswell and, and, you know, historic cases and things like that being brought up or mentioned crash retrievals and things like that. So it's one of them. In some ways, I kind of think maybe we have to take the rough with the smooth. We didn't get any questions about the AOI MSG, but there were some very intriguing questions asked about older cases. But I would have, I would definitely have liked a little bit more questions about that, the new efforts, as you say, because that is well, supposedly the whole point of the hearing, yeah, really, wasn't it? You're right. That, that's a good point, that though, Frank. I mean, I suppose I'm moaning about the lack of preparation and rigor in the questions. But it is true, they did, they, we did get into a few issues we weren't expecting and some of the answers are really interesting. So like you say, maybe it showed, once we take the fact they weren't particularly organised in the questioning, we can think, well, that's opened a few new areas up, particularly the Wilson documents mm-hmm. and even the nuclear stuff. I mean, that could set a fuse off that could really light things up. The question, I suppose, is how much uh, the question to preparation is because I think Gallagher must have been speaking to somebody, and I suspect his mate as well was, uh, whose name escapes me again. But uh, uh, how much was it a bit of a just sort of cock-up for didn't organise it? How much were they laying a trap, some of these people? Certainly Schiff. Schiff, he's the, uh, he's, the, he's the chair of the whole Intelligence Committee, so he's allowed to attend any of that, but that was just a subcommittee. So Schiff was there. Clearly these other two people were there. And maybe they were setting a bit of a trap for uh, the DOD, which they maybe stepped into. So they've sort of damned themselves by what they've said, you know. It didn't feel like it was that uh, contrived, though, to me when they were asking the questions. You know what I mean? It didn't feel like a big trap. It might be that someone thought, right, I'm going to go for it here. Somebody had a couple of questions given to him, and the DOD just, because they were doing a snow job, have shot themselves in the foot. But, yeah, you're right. It did produce quite a lot of interesting stuff. Maybe the chaos was quite helpful in some ways, or what I'm saying is chaos anyway. Yeah, it's that it's that um, that balance, isn't it? It's that taking the the rough with the smooth sort of thing, and it's a uh, it, it's interesting to think about the the actual members of Congress, the members of that committee there, what prep they actually did, like because there were some pretty significant differences between yeah. uh, the, the the different people who were asking the questions. There were a, a couple that. Um, that, that seem to be a bit asking questions from a point of view of already having debunked all of this in their own head and they're sort of like trying to point out things that they thought would sort of like discredit it and make the thing seem nonsensical. And then there were other people like Gallagher, I think probably a bit of a my hero of the day sort of thing, who, who seemed to have done some some fairly significant prep and um, was asking some some really good questions. Yeah, they might not have been about the current efforts with the you know the AOIMSG and stuff, but like you say, it was good that certain more historic aspects were brought up, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes along. I think what Bray and Moultrie tried to do as well is kind of focus on the fact that the UAP office, the AOIMSG or whatever it ends up being called in the future, is not actually fully functional yet, but they won't be able to rely on that 
going forward if there's another hearing you know in say a month's time or two months time then it's going to be a case of well look you've got the thing set up now you've 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 supposedly anyway you know this thing's running so what have you done you know what have you done so far so that'll be interesting to see you know if there are hearings in the future when the thing's already up and running that's probably i guess when we'll see more questions about about the current efforts but what do you reckon about the uh the various different members of that subcommittee and, and the prep that they did. Well, I mean, I've sort of got into a few of them. I've got, I've got into a couple of them already with the, I think there was a clear difference to between, I've got, let me have a look at what I, what I, wrote, I wrote down a couple of them here. I was kind of thinking as well, do you think there was any possibility that some of those um, some of those members of Congress do, doing the actual asking of the questions had been informed by Maybe people like some of the names we hear about a lot, like your your, your Chris Mellon and your, your Lou Elizondos and things like that. Do you think that they might have played yeah. a part in, uh, in the wordings? Yeah. No, I think I think mainly it was uh, Schiff and that. I can't remember it, and the other name, uh, Giller, something it was. The, the one who was his mate who asked the question about the collisions and all the rest of it. I think they were the main ones who were prepped. I think Schiff had had a bit of information about the radio stuff that was quite a specific question as well uh but as to that and i think carson had a bit of an overview briefing who was the chair about where it was supposed to go but my impression that was more with carson about coordination with his colleagues you know his, his political colleagues as opposed to the what's it so as i was sort of saying in my previous answer i don't think it was that contrived but those people did a small group of them so shift uh, what's his name, Gallagher, and the other guy whose name starts with G, who I'll find in a second. But uh, it, they, were the, they were the main ones, I think, who were very well prepared. Uh, the other ones, I, I don't think they've done much work at all on it, really. I just think they were... I don't, the only one I thought was a planted question was LaHood, you know, from the other side, mm. uh, i.e., should we lock them all up? And uh, I wasn't sure about that ET one, whether he would have been asked to ask that. I think he was called a Flack, I think the guy's name was. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, so, so that was what I thought. I didn't think there was much evidence of that, really. But I think there'd been a bit of it. But I, 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 I thought it would have been a bit more orchestrated if they'd really done a job on them, basically, mm. Frank. But I don't know, really, because I, I don't know, being, in, being from England, how, how, what the form is, you know, and how, and how well they sort of do it, you know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting if if the if people like Lou Elizondo, Mellon and so on haven't been involved in helping put these questions together behind the scenes. That's quite interesting in its own right because that means that people like Gallagher have really actually gone to the trouble of finding out some of the stuff from from you know historic cases and things like that, and they've used their own initiative to actually just do that off their own back. That's kind of equally interesting, really. And, you know, if, they, if they've just had questions handed to them on a plate and they've asked those questions on behalf of somebody like Lou Elizondo or something, that's one thing. But if they've actually gone to the trouble of looking into this and finding those cases significant and then asked the questions based on that, that's actually better in a way. I mean, I've got a just, just, I just, it's going to bug me if I don't tell you. It's called Krista Monte's <laughs> name. He's Krista Monte. Uh, and he, he was the one who asked about collisions, attempts to communicate. Have you fired on a UAP? It's an interesting mm. question. Wreckage, underwater sensors. So I think him and Gallagher had had some sort of briefing off, off Lou or his minions. I mean, I don't want to slander Lou for doing anything like that. But let's say somebody who's close to that camp briefed them. And I think Schiff knew 
basically he talked about the physical characteristics and radio as well so i think they were the main ones i mean crawford asked about the tic tac but i think he was i think he'd formed these plan his own 401 whether it could still be chinese or russian tech and all that mm. uh but yeah uh, yeah that's so that that's who i think yeah just to but it was Krista monte so those two i think might have been briefed yeah, so do you have a, a sort of a man of the match, as we say in the UK, oh, when it comes to football? Do you Ga- have a- Gallagher? Definitely, definitely Gallagher. I mean, he, he, and I also think I thought uh, Monster Christie was all right. He didn't impress me on first watch, but when I watched it again, he got some pretty good questions in. Really, uh, I don't think there was. If you were to ask me who was the opposition's man of the match, I'd say nobody, because I thought they were both rubbish. I mean, <laughs> Bray cut a good figure. He talked a good game, but. It was just very unconvincing. And I thought uh, the other guy, he wasn't very... Was it Monka? What was his name? The other fella? You, uh, Moultrie. Moultrie, that's right. Sorry, I was getting confused. Uh, he, uh, I don't think he was that good either. He was a bit more personable and more believable. But some of the things he said no to, I thought, what does he know, this bloke? How can he turn up and not know that? So I thought they were rubbish. But the man in the match was definitely uh, old Gallagher. He, he stole the show. And to a certain extent, maybe manager of the match was uh, Carson. I thought he did a good, if you break down what Carson said, he really set the frame well. And if we're looking for that hand of, the political hand of the Congress, it's maybe Carson and his links to the others, but was maybe more the guiding thing that, and the fact Shift turned up to back him up as well, which was quite interesting. Yeah, I think... uh... Gallagher definitely was man of the match in my opinion. I thought he really kind of put the questions that I stood up in me, you know, in me in my front room when he started talking about some of the things he was mentioning. I got all Brilliant. excited, but yeah, I think it's the the thing is as well with um, with Bray Moultrie. I think to sort of try and see the positives in it a little bit. I've mentioned this uh, on a couple of other episodes when I've been talking to people about this as well. There was those commitments there to to actually be more transparent, and we'll see, I suppose, going forward whether they actually stick to that or whether it's just kind of a, a statement that's been thrown out to give a certain impression. But in particular, that thing about uh, Malmstrom with the the missiles being taken offline and that kind of thing, he he did actually say that he committed to actually looking into it. I think his exact words were "sure will do" when he was asked to to look into it in more detail. So. That's going to be interesting to see how how that plays out. And and obviously the other thing is, um, as we mentioned earlier a little bit, and we'll go into that a bit more now, the the Wilson docks, because that has been brought up and it's sort of the elephant in the room now, isn't it? That's that's not gonna go away, I don't think. And there must be a lot of other people who who have who you know just heard about that for the first time, or they're gonna look into it more deeply now off the back of this. And, you know, there's gotta be some follow up questions on that in in future hearings. So, what do you reckon of the uh, the significance of the the Wilson docks being brought up? Yeah, I was I was amazed they brought them. To be honest with you, because it's such a and because in a way, uh, for people who don't know about the Wilson documents, essentially uh, they were supposed to be notes taken by Eric Davis, just as pop for the NIDS organization run by Robert Bigelow. They'd arranged a meeting with Admiral Wilson. Who had said a few things? Uh, it's partly it's through Stephen Gray, but we don't know about that. Uh, but anyway, they'd arranged to meet uh, with Eric to meet to get some information on what was happening. Uh, and basically, Eric Davis, who's got a photographic memory, by the way, uh, apparently he's well known for it. That's why probably the notes are pretty good. He met the admiral, sat in, sat in his car in his big navy limo because he was on his apparently on his retirement uh, 
he's doing his farewell tour and he was in that he was being driven around but and he met him then and apparently what happened was the admiral found out that it was told that there was programs he wasn't aware of he was like chris mellon in a few years before he was in charge he was the deputy director he was in charge of i can forget the name of the committee but it's the one that runs all the special access programs so he said no if there's a ufo program i'd know about it and he said no no you're doing these he then apparently this is what he was telling davis he then was told where to look demanded access he said you can't have access and he said but i'm in charge of it how can i not have access so eventually after he moaned and kicked off he went to have, he didn't say the defense contractor it could be lockheed martin it could be a few of them that he i changed my mind on which one it could be by the day of the week really but uh grumman it could be grumman martin or whatever martin Grumman, whatever it is but anyway uh basically what they said to him he went and spoke to him and said uh he said right basically they were meeting him they had a lawyer present and he said yeah we have we reverse engineering stuff it's not made by human hands this tech so it's definitely alien tech and what we do we roll it out every 10 years see if we can do anything with it then we roll it back in so that's what and we haven't made much progress or oh and uh by the way don't ask again and then he, he then tried to pursue it after that and he was told that if he carried on he'd lose his stars uh, as an admiral he'd be demoted and that would be the end, the end of his career so he then just didn't pursue it after that so that's the story now i'll just go to the providence of that in a minute but one thing about that story is if that's true clearly that shows that they've got a secret program uh there's uh obviously black programs going on that people don't know about they're obviously not going through the proper accountability systems even the special you know the special access programs and uh but the private industry are involved and there's obviously money being saved so it's a massive powder keg the problem the slight issue is even if you believe the docs are real which i think there's a good chance they are which i'll say why in a minute uh it still doesn't mean to say that what they told wilson was true I mean, if you look at the details in a the document they pretty people have compared them they look at them they stack up the all the other details about who was where when but they said, oh, we just wheel it out every 10 years and we oh, haven't made much progress. Well, if they said to him, you know what? We've made a load of progress here. We've developed this bloody big TR-3B and it flies around. It's great and we're really fantastic, it is, Admiral Wilson. Well, he would have never shut up about it then, would he? So clearly, they were. I don't think they would have told him whether they would have met what progress they would have made. So I don't think we can rely entirely on that testimony. And so therefore, you have to think, where at what point can we run it to but i don't think they would have told him we've got something that's alien effectively or not made by human hands was the phrase which could mean a few other things uh if there wasn't something to it now why i put a bit of uh stock in it is the provenance route it come out it basically come out as part of edgar mitchell's papers who was part of this nids group famous u.s astronaut very respected person and you can track the provenance of who held it who brought it forward and it sort of seems to have stood the test of time now some people have tried to knock it with the gray link and said well because of the gray link then we can't discard all the document which is like saying because one little detail attached to it then it should be discarded overall because if one thing's wrong it's all wrong. well i don't think that stacks up i don't think it doesn't need any input from gray but it stands on its own to it so i think it's a pretty good document and why i really think it's a good document is when Lou was asked about it the other day, he went, oh, I wouldn't like to be in their shoes. And he certainly thinks there's something. So 
I think that's a powder keg potentially, but I just don't know how far they're going to get with it because, A, it's not an official document. So I think they slipped up letting it be admitted. I just think none of them knew what it was. Uh, and uh, anyway, so, and also, Eric Davis gave it, the Admiral can't admit to it because he'll go, go down, he'll go in prison for that because uh, he violated his security oath. And you're supposed to lie about these programs anyway. And Eric Davis gave his word to the Admiral, but he would never breathe a word of him in because it was just supposed to be a private meeting for his notes and for the NIDS group. So if they call to test testify, unless they're given immunity, they won't say anything. Uh, and so it could, it, it is a potential powder keg, but there's a lot of barriers to get across, Frank, before it becomes something. And uh, so I, they might just say, oh, well, it's just hearsay, this and disregard it. I don't know, but it is. Lou doesn't seems to think it's really quite serious and they can't get out of it. So who knows? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? The the reactions from various people about the the fact that the the Wilson Davis notes came up. Like Lou Elizondo, Sean Cahill had previously been very, very cagey about yeah. even talking about they just Lou Lou Elizondo, anytime it came up, would just say that he couldn't comment and move on. And um Funnily enough, like you said on the um, the Ross Coltart Bryce Abel podcast, he was really quite forthcoming with his thoughts on it when he hasn't been in the past. And Sean Cahill uh, made a tweet about it praising um, uh, Chris Wolford, I think it is, who's who's one of the people who's done a lot of research on the Wilson Davis notes in the past. Um, and Sean Cahill did a tweet praising him for sticking with it on the Wilson Davis notes, which is basically an endorsement of the fact that you know they are a legit document. Brandon Fugel came out and very, yeah. very clearly sort of nailed his colours to the mast. Um, Bob Maguire, another one, came out and said that he's seen things directly that, that proved to him. And obviously the thing the thing is with this is that they're not presenting the evidence that they have seen themselves. But if you have any faith in these individuals based on their track records, it does definitely kind of make the Wilson Davis notes a lot more compelling as a, as a document. So... It's going yeah. to be interesting. I mean, one thing, just as you were talking, then I was thinking, if you're a lawyer, they often say, once you've got the information, it's not the... So let's say they can't ask him questions on the Wilson Davis document because they, they won't be able to get that past the whatever hurdles. Still, the information's out there, and a good lawyer could ask questions based on that document that they might find very hard to get out of, you know, without perjuring themselves effectively. Uh, and that might be where it... Just as you were talking, I was thinking, that might be where it... Uh, proves its strength in the end. It's the information's out there and they, they may still have to answer questions on it, even if they can get around the actual dock itself, you know. And it also raises the question, Frank, which we might come on to in a bit, of immunity, which we might get onto in a bit uh, for these hearings. I'll probably talk about that when we if we talk about what's going to happen in the future. Because immunity would be interesting for Wilson and Davis. I mean, I don't think Wilson would say anything anyway, to be frank. Reputation. Uh, Davis might. Well, yeah, I think that that's kind of worth mentioning as well. I'm just saying about how the various people have come out of the woodwork to sort of um, throw the weight behind these notes and in, endorse them as legit documents. But the other interesting thing is that uh, Admiral Wilson himself has actually come out in an interview and doubled down on his denial yeah. of the notes over the last few days. So it's only fair to mention that as well. Yeah. And um, Joe Mergier, by the way, if anyone's interested in looking into bit more about the Wilson uh, Davis notes obviously Dave's just give a really good rundown of it there but 
you want even more detail, Joel Merge has actually done something which he's referred to as the mega blog on the Wilson Davis notes. And you can find that on, uh, if, if you t- type in Joel Mergier, that's M-U-R-G-I-A. Um, and uh, he's got a website, I think it's ufojoe.net. Um, I was just trying to find it online, but my internet's not working at the minute. But if you type in UFO Joe or Joe Mergier, a Wilson Davis mega blog, it'll be the top thing that comes up. And it's it's really worth um, checking that out. And what I was going to say is Joe Mergier himself, who's done you know hours and hours and hours of research on this, he's himself said that the kind of the key thing that casts a bit of doubt on it all in his mind yeah. is the strength of the denial from Admiral Wilson. But then again, like you said, Dave, if he is actually, you know, if these documents are legit, he is liable for discussing classified data in an unclassified setting, which is a very, very uh, serious crime, basically. To to if he's, you know, if it turns out that's what it is, he could be liable for that. Yeah. So he is going to want to deny, it, isn't he? So yeah. there is another killer point as well. Uh, can I just say before I give you the, the killer point? But uh, uh, the, I, I'm saying I think it's just what I think based on my opinion. Having looked at it since Dolan was gone about in 2014, 15, so that's, so it's just my opinion. I don't want people to say, I'm not, I'm not asking people to, I'm not saying it's absolutely true. It's just my view of it. having seen it all and I may well be wrong. So I don't, I don't want people to think I'm saying there's definite proof because there isn't just based on probability. But uh, for me, the killer thing, apart from that one, what you said, Frank, is Eric Davis is known for being a very frank and honest person. But if there was nothing to the, these notes and that he made them, he would have, if he said, well, did you do those with Admiral Wilson? He would have said, no, I didn't. And that would have been the end of it. Why didn't he say that? Why did Because surely you would, anybody would. You'd just say, I'm sorry, it's a lot of rubbish. And that would have been the end of it. But he's never said that. He's never uh, confirmed them, but he's never given a flat-out denial like that. And to me, that is the, the killer The killer argument. It's not proof. But it's a killer argument that even trumps Wilson doubling down. Because you are right, Frank. He has said they're not his. So you can't just brush that away. That's a big thing. I mean, I think even Joe Merger, as you were alluding to, says that's his only stumbling point with it. But I think the Eric Davis not saying anything is, is the big thing that sort of proves it, really, because he's got a good reputation, Davis. He's known for speaking his mind, and he would have just said, no, they're rubbish. Because mm. of all the trouble it's caused him for nothing else. So that's why I think it's a massive thing. Yeah, very true. And like you say, Eric Davis has really been pretty outspoken with certain points that he disagrees with. If you think something's a nonsense, he'll generally just say that it's total nonsense and he'll usually use some quite colourful language to yeah. do so. You know, he's, he's don't mess about, does he, Eric yeah. Davis? So, and, and he has, like you say, he's completely refused to even talk about it just because completely straight-faced whenever it's brought up. But interestingly, what he did do is that he... Um, he actually verified in an interview that they did come out of Edgar Mitchell's estate. So that seems to back up that provenance as well. And again, he wouldn't, you know, very unusual that he knows where the documents have come from. And, you know, he's obviously looked into it a bit. It's not just like he's he's dismissing it because he doesn't want to bother with it. So that's that. Again, we don't know for sure, but it's a very strong indication. And before I forget as well, it is ufojoe.net. I just checked. So um, if anyone... But he's done tremendous work on that, Joe Merger. Absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely. He has. 
so he good. Said, anyway, yeah. Sorry. So, so yeah, what what do you reckon about the some of the the comments from from Lou Elizondo? We've kind of touched on it a little bit there about the Wilson notes, um, but obviously Ross Coltart's been discussing this quite a bit with Lou Elizondo. So were there, were there any comments that Lou has mentioned outside of to do with the Wilson yeah. Davis notes? I mean, yeah, I mean Coltart. I won't go on about it much, but he was absolutely scathing. I mean, I I, I listened to it and I was furious when I listened to it. I was furious. He's a bit strong. I was seething. He's probably a better description. <laughs> And so I sent a couple of hopefully quite balanced tweets out because I just because I thought it was to get it out there what I thought about it. Not that I'm, I'm a great opinion farmer, but I did think I needed to say. And uh, then I listened to Kulfa and he said virtually what I'd said. So at least it made me feel a bit better. Even if he's wrong, at least I had another compadre in my. And he was absolutely scathing. He said they'd all be sacked from Australia. I know this is what's it. He said, I forget. He said something. Uh, Wrapped up in a bow, I won't say what it was, and utter bullshit. I think he said that. I think we can the show can stand that level of swearing. Uh, <laughs> but it anyway, all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I is now, I suppose, and I should have, <laughs> I should have said sorry. Anyway, but uh, he really got stuck into him. And he just said how appalling the performance was and the rubbish questioning. But Lou, I mean, Lou Gibby's, even Lou, I was surprised at because Lou normally. Uh, goes, oh, well, you know, it's all right. They're all intelligent and lovely people. And, you know, he, he smooths it over, doesn't he? So he give his usual, remember the report in, in, you know, in 21, that didn't make an effect at first, but, you know, it did. And there's a greater purpose with the hearings, and, and which is all true. I'm saying it like I'm very sarcastic, but that is true. And he said, but then he said, <laughs> the Republicans were throwing chairs around. They were furious. So the, the representatives, which are the politicians, by which I mean. Uh, and so he actually said there'll be more hearings coming out of the back of it. Uh, and he thought that Congress was actually painting a box or a target, he means. I think there was target systems whereby he sticks them in the sort of line they're going to take, which they can then dismantle. But, I mean, I, I did write a list of things he said down. He said uh, the Wilson documents were a real problem. Uh, he admitted uh, the crash retrievals, that that's going to be really tricky. How are they going to respond to that? And he actually mentioned that he said, the task force has no remains, like I said earlier. And he was saying, well, clearly they haven't because they've only got uh, two staff. He actually said they're doing, he did a reeled off a list of what they were all supposed to be doing. And then he said, but they've only got two people. How are they doing that? He said, they're the source for Maelstrom, so I don't know about how they can say that. Uh, he said they trapped themselves, basically, and uh, in the future hearings, it's going to really come back and bite them on the backside. Uh, to paraphrase, he didn't quite say that, but that's what he meant. And uh, he just said he was a, he was uh, showed the real videos rather than that rubbish video you show, and he just said he was sad for the DOD because it makes them look so bad and he put himself in such a corner. Now, now the killer, and he wasn't too complimentary about the questions either. But the thing is, what I was getting at is he never normally says that. He's normally very diplomatic, but he really gave him both barrels after saying his usual nice bit. He absolutely gave him both barrels. So I thought his comments were. Very significant. In fact, that killed me even more than Coulthard. Uh, I mean, Rossi's were great, but good enough. And Bryce made some good comments as well. But God, uh, what Lou said, he virtually blew him out of the water, I thought. So, yeah, uh, mad. Yeah, it was it was a good show actually. I mean, recommend everyone yeah. go and, and check that out. It's um, a need to know uh, the podcast is called with uh, Ross Coltart and Bryce Abel. And I think it was was it a day after or, or two days after the actual hearing they had Lou Elizondo himself actually on there to discuss it, and that's what we're 
uh, referring to there. So it's definitely worth watching. It's on YouTube and it's on Spotify and everywhere you get podcasts and things like that. So um, definitely worth checking out. And, and I actually uh, interviewed Ross Coltart as well not long ago. So uh, if you're interested in checking that out, you can go back through the episodes and find that as well. It was a real uh, privilege to be able to speak to, to Ross, who's been a you know leading journalist in this oh, topic really fantastic. over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I think my thoughts kind of uh, developed slightly differently with the hearing. Um, I, I initially thought it was a bit more positive and, uh, you know, certain aspects of the the commitments to transparency and whatever, and just purely the fact that things like Crash Retrievals and the Wilson Memo were brought up. And then on reflection and then watching the hearing back, I kind of ended up feeling like actually, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag really and started to see the more negative aspects of it and the obvious, you know, obfuscation attempts. And for me, as I say, the the slightly dodgy motivation in the the selection of those two videos in particular and and all the stuff that we've discussed for the last uh, coming up to an hour. Um, But as I say, I did find some positives in there. Um, so what about you, Dave? Did you find some positives in the whole thing as well? I, I did actually, Frank, because I did think about it. I remember we had a bit of a chat about it when it came out or, you know, a sort of brief chat. And uh, I, di- I did, I f- yeah, I did actually. I mean, I, I thought, A, it was the first for 50 years. We can't moan about that. I mean, that's good. And the other thing in the blue book, what they haven't said about those hearings, 50 years ago, they denied it, basically. They said there's nothing to see here, no Air Force threat, and that was it. And they closed the book on it, didn't they? So uh, they've not done that this time. They've actually said uh, that they exist. So they've taken them seriously. It's put it in serious discourse with the channels and what we might call the chattering classes and, you know, the media and all that. And they've raised public awareness. Uh, and I think, so that's for me, it's obviously got to be positive stepping back from it. The fact that I'm into the subject and I wanted to see all these things and into the weeds on scrutiny if I step back from that, I've got to acknowledge that was a, a good thing. I mean, more practically, I think the poor responses from the witnesses will really mean more hearings. I think they've, they've uh, and I think we might, uh, the senators and the Congress people, as I say, put their reputation on the line. They're not going to have that and they're going to have to do something. So, in a way, a bit like you predicted, I suppose, Frank, given that they tried to play that game, it actually means that there's going to be more a fuller and frank discussion as we go and uh, I think it's good because I, th- I think uh, the DOD are going to uh, will be caught out in the, in what they've done and it's going to escalate things I mean I just will give you another quote from Lou which hopefully you can stand Lou actually said they have now pissed off Congress or they have pissed off Congress is the exact quote they wrote that down so that's good news in a way for me and also it's good news more generally but they raise the subject. So when, when I have heard people, because if people are sitting listening to this thinking, well, I thought it was all right, I do agree with that. It was okay in those terms, and maybe I'm being a little too critical. Uh, and I'm maybe looking too far, you know, can't see the wood for the trees, really. But I did think that quite a lot come out of it, so I don't want to totally knock it. And who would have thought we would have had that four years ago, eh? I, I certainly would have done. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a a very good point. Is if if somebody would have said four or five years ago, do you think that this is going to happen? And that in a in an actual congressional hearing, we're going to hear discussions of the Wilson Davis notes and UFOs shutting down nuclear missiles and crash retrievals and all the rest of it. <laughs> I'd have never believed that in a million years, and, and obviously that's what we saw the other day. And uh, yeah, so overall, a bit of a mixed bag 
really. But um, the main thing is that a lot of seeds were sown and it's going to be interesting to see how each of those little areas progress, all the various different things we've discussed there um, over the course of uh, what we've talked about today. And um, another uh, person that I've had on the show recently is Chris Sharp from Liberation Times. Obviously, we did a breakdown a couple of days after the hearing, and uh, it was great to have Chris on. Again, definitely worth going back and checking out if anybody wants to hear a bit more about thoughts on the hearings. And um, what were your thoughts on Chris Sharp's analysis? Do you have anything to, to well, comment on that? Well, as you know, I know Chris pretty well myself, and I often talk sometimes with the Liberation Times stuff. We talk about some of the articles he's doing. Clearly, he does most of the work. I'm not, you know, so, <laughs> you know, I, I just sometimes chat to him about how many which he finds helpful. But thing that people don't realise about Chris, he's a really, really good analyst politically. He, 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 in his PR job, he had to do a lot of that, analysing the politics in London, which is pretty tricky to local politics, but he's a bloody good analyst. And he's a good analyst of movement, so essentially. And his articles have been saying the underlying thing is that the AIO MSG is not fit for purpose. So if you think about what Gillibrand asked, and this is why it was really good, the articles he's kept doing repeating this, Gillibrand's demands were essentially that they need to do a historical analysis from all the departments and could get that information. Then there needs to be a central analysis going on of all the data from all agencies. Uh, there's got to be... That demands contact with all agencies and liaison and information coming through, a central analysis and a strategic control group. Uh, then there was scientific investigation that had to be undertaken, which would have been a lot of fluff and would link to DOE. And then there was recovery capabilities and other technical, technical, I should say, easy for me to say, capabilities. So really, it needs a massive staff. It needs link to all departments. It needs an analysis team, a science team, in fact, if you had a Majestic 12, Frank, that's what they'd have. So it needs a... <laughs> I mean, that's maybe a bit, being a bit uh, facetious. But that's... I mean, it's not so facetious because if you were a secret underground core thing, you'd need all that facility, wouldn't you, to have those links? So Chris's analysis is so good, not only because he points out the, the to and fro day to day, but because it really shows how it's fit, unfit for purpose of what's involved in this task and how... But what we've heard from the testimony, there's just nowhere near it. And what have they got? Free staff. I mean, it's pathetic. Maybe I think they've appointed two more. They should have like 100, 200 people. They've got to have all these links and liaison. They've got to have contractors, which they can't do. For legal reasons, that department can't do. So Chris's analysis is really, really good for me. But because it informs the debate. And I remember when that article came out about that, he did a couple. And he got praise from Chris Mellon and a few other major opinion formers and players. So it just shows it's, it's not just a few random thoughts from somebody who doesn't know much. His opinion is really good. At it. And I think anybody who doesn't count Chris as a good journalist and a good analyst really needs to rethink that, given, just given on the people who praised his work. I mean, you know, that's my thoughts anyway. Absolutely, I can't recommend Liberation Times uh, enough. And Chris Sharp, obviously founder of Liberation Times, yeah, I've, I've joked that he he must have a crystal ball. <laughs> I think he's a, he's very 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 good at, at predicting, yeah. sort of like you know analyzing the patterns of what's going on and predicting what's going to happen. He, he, he published an article about a week before the hearings even were announced, saying about congressional hearings being very likely in the near future, and then lo and behold. 
there they are. So yeah, I, I reckon Chris has got some some excellent sources, yeah. and he's got some very good intuition of his own as well. Definitely yeah. worth uh, checking. Well, if he out. has got any sources, he's not told me about them. But uh, mind you, he wouldn't really. I don't ask him to be honest with you. So we, yeah. the jury's probably out on what his sources. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I'd, he's got I'd, some though. He must have. I think you know if he, if he did have some excellent sources, he would be uh, yeah. gen- he'd be gentlemanly enough to keep them well. Under well, yeah, oh yeah. Well, he didn't talk about them today. Yeah, he's very yeah, uh, <laughs> psychic sharpie. We'll call him, shall we? And yeah. leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, there we go. And um, and and yeah. So, what do you think uh, we're going to expect going forward? Then, as I said, there's a lot of seeds planted in this first hearing, and uh, a lot of things that are to keep an eye on. So, what what do you reckon we can expect looking ahead? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I think we're going to see more hearings. I think we'll see them before August for the crucial reason. That's when the recess is in the Senate and the Congress. And then they're coming back and it's the midterm elections. And so I think the the politicians are going to want vindication before that uh, because they don't want to be standing up on the stump, do they? And somebody going, oh, you believe in UFOs? That was a load of rubbish, wasn't it? They, 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 they want the reputation bolstered before that. Now, Bryce Zabel said, Talking to uh, UFO Jesus, I can uh, I do know he's Ryan. Is his proper name, isn't it? and talking to Ryan, it, he he actually said it could be next week. Now he was only half joking when he said that. I listened to that interview; it's a bloody good interview. If people haven't heard it, it's really. Good. I suggest people check that out if they listen to it. So, there could definitely be more hearings. I think there'll be more focus on questions of programs and what was going on there. We may, interestingly, once they, if they think the game's up in the DOD, which it must be pretty close to being up at the moment, if the pressure I, we think is going to be applied, we might see that they realign their position quite radically. And we might say, sorry, don't believe the two stooges. Actually, this is the position. They won't say that. They'll just bring out technical specialists who will slowly contradict it, I think. We might see Lou testifying. Or more likely, we may see uh, people testifying from people who are more technical and are witnesses. So we might start lower down the chain, the military, uh, hierarchical food chain in the military, of people who've seen stuff. And uh, if it was me, and I'd, I was a member of that Senate committee, I'd say, right, okay, if we're going to have this sort of snow job, I'd insist on the witnesses that they get turning up who were properly briefed, and I'd get one from every department that's named on the Gillibrand thing, say they've got to be properly briefed, and then I'd ask them to tell me about all the things in each different agency and what they knew, what had gone on historically and what they know now and what the role is. And that's what I'd do because I think that's the only way to get to the bottom of it. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do that, but I think there'll be more specific forensic questioning. Uh, and I think the Air Force may well be put on the carpet before too much longer because it's ridiculous. Like at school or something, they're getting away with saying nothing and everybody else is getting told off and just because you say nothing, everybody's ignoring you i mean that so that can't stand can it and they so that's my view but i don't know frank you might have a view on this i might be being a bit optimistic there uh it may be that there won't be that progress i think there may be more hearings but it could be that they just keep stonewalling and say no it just depends if congress has got the power to break the dam really break the logjam yeah i suppose that's the big question isn't it is like have we gone past the point where they can do another blue book, you know, where they can just put up, you know, some kind of dodgy explanation, explain it all the way as nothing, satisfy enough of that level of curiosity in the public and move on. What I tend to think is that, 
And this is why I kind of go on about like disclosure. Obviously, people have different ways of looking at the UFO topic, but for me, the disclosure coming from the government as to what they know, or at least to some extent of what they know, is really important purely because there is genuinely a massive amount of public interest in this topic. And I feel like back in the day, in the the sixties and whatnot, when you know Project Blue Book and all the rest of it was going on, you know, back then it was a totally different climate to what it is now. With social media and all the rest of it now, you can news on your phone instantly the minute it happens and all the rest of it. I don't think, as Lou Elizondo always says, I don't think they're going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle by oh, this yeah. point. The amount of interest in it. I mean, I was talking to Chris about this the on the House Intel YouTube channel where the uh, the hearings were shown. It's hilarious because all the videos are like 4,000, couple of thousand views, and then the UFO hearings is like 600,000 views in two days or something crazy like that. The public interest is there. And in in my opinion, you know that that public interest warrants much further investigation and more transparency and and more funds being allocated to this this topic. And I reckon, you know, that that tipping point has has been reached. There might be a little bit of optimism in in that for, on my you know a bit of wishful thinking on my part, but that that tends to be kind of you know how how I think of it. But yeah, I think I think. Is there anything else you want to add, Dave? I think we've pretty much covered yeah, all no, bases no, there. Not really. Just one thing, just as a general observation. When I think about this, I've been into this for years. I know you have as well. And uh, I, I think we probably all who are into it, you don't. There's a little bit of myself still that doesn't. I've stopped myself thinking about what the true implications are of all this. Like a crashed aliens, the wonder. And I think you sort of do that to protect you, mate. You're not from not going crazy, but I think. It, I think we almost be a bit like the implications are absolutely. If you step back and think of the implications, they're astounding. And I think it's sometimes worth bearing that in mind when you're thinking about what we're hearing now and how absolutely mind bending it is, really. So it really is interesting times. It really is. And uh, I wonder how they're going to solve this conundrum. Yeah, but yeah, that's great, that, Frank. And there's a lot to get through there. So I'm glad we. We managed to get through it really because it's just so you could go on about it for we could go on another two hours really about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure if there is another hearing, I'm sure we'll go on about that one for another couple of hours, and uh, there'll be plenty to talk about as we, as we move along with all of this. So uh, we shall see how it all unfolds in the in the coming weeks and months, won't we? Yeah. All right, brilliant. Well, thanks very much for joining me, Dave. It's well, been a pleasure. Well, thanks for having me, Frank. And as usual, really enjoyed it, mate. Great to talk to you. See you later. Nice one. UFO Thinker Podcast.